Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. As we begin this evening, I'd like for you to turn to Revelation 22 and open your, just have your Bibles open to that text as we think together about the second part of our theme today of heaven. This morning, heaven is a wonderful place. And tonight, I want to go there. The Bible has a lot to say about heaven. Obviously, the reason for that is the desire that He wants to create for us to be there. I know of at least three, maybe in my mind I've forgotten some, but I know of three who were permitted to look into the portals of heaven and to give us a message of what it was they saw. Go back to Acts chapter 7, and you know the story of Stephen, the first martyr, when they stoned him after preaching the gospel to these Pharisees who just refused to accept this newfound religion. They fell upon him and dragged him out of the city to the stoning pit, the place the Jews used for the high crime of blasphemy against God. And they stoned him. And the Bible says that while he was being stoned, Stephen looked up into heaven and saw Jesus standing on God's right side. Not much of a view into heaven, but a little bit. Some have thought that when the Bible says that Jesus returned to heaven, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father, which Scripture teaches. But now as Stephen looks into heaven, we see Jesus standing. Some have stated that's because he stood in honor of one who was dying for his faith. Maybe so. But what we have there is a vision of heaven where in the throne room of God, there the two are together. I'm thinking of another passage in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, Paul writes there in the third person. He, he talks about a man I knew years ago, 14 years ago, who was caught up into the third heaven, into a place called paradise. And he heard marvelous, wonderful words that were too great to be uttered. He never specifically says that he was that man. I think we all understand he was talking about himself. Probably a reference to his time after his road to Damascus experience. Then he was taught the gospel. Ananias immersed him into Jesus. And not too long later, he spent three years in the Arabian desert being with Jesus in the same way the twelve had been with Jesus for three years. And apparently during that time he was caught up into the third heaven. 
in a way of being able to experience the presence of Jesus in some way just like the other apostles had, and he therefore qualifies as an apostle. But obviously the one who saw the most about heaven is John in the Revelation. And when the book opens in chapter 1, John says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that first chapter gives us a view into the throne room of God. He takes a break in chapters 2 and 3 and goes back to the same theme in chapter 4. And we see this outstanding picture, this beautiful picture of what he was describing about heaven. And then we see the close of the revelation in chapter 22, uh, what appears to be another statement about what it looks like in heaven. John had a very difficult task. John had to say in physical terms what he was seeing in a spiritual place. The online program that Greg Collins and I do, the church debater and preacher Mike, the question has come up at least a couple of times, things about the reality of what we see described as heaven and hell. Is there really a fire there? Is there really a golden street? Is there really a tree of life? Well, I would say this. There really is that concept and that image. But it seems to me obvious that this is a, these are spiritual places. And therefore the descriptive terms in Scripture are the best that we can do in physical ways to describe a spiritual thing. I don't think it's, it seems impossible to me that there would be physical things in a spiritual place. But we don't have the words in our language to describe it any other way than John does in these physical descriptions. And while these exist from these three at least, let me ask you this. What do you think they were feeling? What were they feeling when they were looking into heaven? I wonder what emotions came over them. I wonder what thoughts came to their minds. I know throughout Scripture when people encountered beings, spiritual beings, apparently from the heavenly portals, they fell down because it was too much to handle. You remember that Moses wanted to see God's face. And God said, no, no human can do that and live. But you stand here between these rocks and I will pass by and cover your eyes. And then I will let you see behind as I pass. That sight would be too much. And when the children of Israel were around Mount Sinai, and the voice of God yelled down from the mountain the Ten Commandments. The people were so fearful that they told Moses, you go get the law from God. We don't want to hear it from his mouth. You get it and bring it to us and you be the spokesman. 
It must be an overwhelming feeling, an overwhelming experience to be in the presence of the God of the universe. But you know what? I want to go there. I think you do too. For just a minute or two, I want to notice what it means when I say, I want to go there. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. It's a very familiar passage, but I want you to look at it while we are considering it. The first thing that I want us to notice, when I say, I want to go to heaven, I have to admit, I have to realize that simply saying that is not good enough. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Many will say, Lord, Lord. But Jesus said, simply saying it is not good enough. So if I say, or if you say, I want to go to heaven. While that's a good thing to say, it's not enough. I quickly noticed a couple of surveys this afternoon. Here's a survey from 1998. 84% of the people surveyed believe in life after death. 76% of that group believe in heaven. 2% believe that they're, the 76% going to go to heaven. 2% say we're going to hell, and 4% believe in purgatory. Now, if you're not sure about what purgatory is, purgatory is a teaching that says you go off and you're punished for the numbers of sins that you have committed, and then you get to leave that place and go to heaven. So of the 84% who believe in life after death, 80% of them expect they're going to be in heaven. 1998, 2016, 64% of evangelicals, that means those who practice the major, the Jesus-believing religions of the world, 64% of them say everybody is going to heaven. And 60% of all others say everybody is going to heaven. But it's just not enough to say, I want to go there. Look at these people. Who were these people? 
These people who claim to be able to work miracles, is it possible that there are people who had the gift to be able to work miracles, but who still did not in their hearts believe those things? Is that possible? I know this. The apostles had that ability, those abilities. And I know Judas Iscariot sure messed up. Hmm. Did he have the ability to work miracles? I think probably so. It's not my decision to decide if he'll be in heaven or hell. But I know this. Here's a man that was known to be a thief. But who had the ability given from God to work those miracles. So there are people whether they are actual or whether they just simply have deceived themselves into thinking that they have done all of these great things. There are people someday who are going to look at Jesus and say, you're my Lord. But Jesus said, no. In fact, the wording of verse 23 has always been interesting to me. He says, I never knew you. That means the whole time that they thought they were on God's side, Jesus said, I didn't know you. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean he didn't know their name. He didn't know what they looked like. He didn't know who they were. It means he did not know them as one of his, even though they strenuously believed that they were. I want to go to heaven. But I also don't want to fool myself into thinking that I will just because I say so. Or, or just because my parents taught me so. Or just because I preach for this church. And I don't want you simply to believe that you're going to heaven because you've always said it. In fact, I want you to notice what John says about heaven. Beginning in verse number 6 of Revelation 22. The first thing that I need to know if I want to go to heaven, because it's not enough simply to say it. Okay, so what else is there? If I want to go to heaven, I need, number one, to be willing to listen about how to get there. Those 64% of people who say everybody's going to heaven seem to me to have failed to listen. It was even Jesus who said, enter in at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And few find it. I don't think 64% is few. Therefore, I need to be willing to listen to what I need to do to learn how to go to heaven. 
when John was writing. Notice what God said through his angel to John in verse 6. These words are faithful and true. John, you write these things. There are things that are shortly going to come to pass. Well, I believe that that was probably, it was because the book of Revelation was fulfilled in, in that century. There were things that were happening that they saw. They were, uh, they were spectators. They were participants. But they were true. And the things that God wrote, these things are true. Therefore, I must be willing to listen to what he says. Look at verse 7. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It has always been the case with God that anytime He says something, He expects us to hear it and to keep it. So if I want to go to heaven, I better listen to the things that will help me learn how to get to heaven. And if I'm not willing to listen, if I'm not willing to say, okay, I accept that, Lord, and I'll do what you tell me. Then I won't be able fully to believe that I'm going to heaven. So I want to convince myself to listen. As John continued to write in verse 9, he commended those who keep the words of this book and it caused him to worship God. You see, John wants us to have a healthy respect for what God says. If I want to go to heaven, I better listen. Number two, if I want to go to heaven, I must admit that my actions play a part in whether I do. Look at verse 12. I'm going to give a reward, it says, to everyone according to his work. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. What I do or don't do appears to play a part in my going to heaven. And all those people who say that everybody's going to go to heaven, how can that be if there are those who are trying to live in good and wholesome ways and there are others who are trying to keep them from doing so? How can both be in heaven? According to God's Word, that can't be. So I need to be one who says, it's not good enough to want to go. Part of our saying, I want to go to heaven, is because I was raised in a family that taught me that. Were you? D does your family want you to go to heaven? Do they expect that you will, and therefore that's your expectation of yourself, and therefore you're just a part of a group that's on the way to heaven? 
Is it just because you've been told that? And because you say that? And I have to look at my life and say, how about my actions? Are they leading me to heaven if I say I want to go there? Number three, look at verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. If I want to go to heaven, I must be okay with not being here. I told someone this morning, I've heard throughout the years those older Christians they seem to be so comfortable with the thought of heaven. I can't even imagine many of them even spending any time thinking about hell. It just is not on their radar. Because they not only want to go to heaven, they have lived a life ready to take them there. And their confidence is soaring And they're okay with not being here. If, I'm, if I want to go to heaven, I need to be okay with not being here. Not being a part of this church. Not living in this physical world. Not eating physical food and playing physical games. Not spending time with children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents. That's okay. And if I want to go to heaven, it has to be okay with me not to be here anymore. Therefore, if you want to go to heaven, are you okay? with leaving all of this behind? Or is this so important that it consumes your thoughts and heaven is forced out of your thoughts? He continues, Let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life Freely. Not only am I needing to be okay with not being here, I have to make a decision to be there. Let him take the water of life. We talked this morning that water is used in the beginning of this chapter as the river that gives the water of life freely to those who in heaven will experience that wonderful, continuous, everlasting life. But I have to take it. What am I doing to drink now of the water of life? As we said this morning, Jesus said, come to me and drink. And if you do, you'll have that everlasting water. In fact, 
In John 7, he, he says it's the Holy Spirit within you. And then I recall what Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't quench the Spirit. Isn't it interesting that water quenches thirst? Jesus said the Spirit is the life-giving water of God. And it can quench our thirst, or we can quench the Spirit. When a person is immersed into Jesus Christ and becomes a child of His, the Spirit comes to live within that person. And, and we don't quench the Spirit. Oh, I don't believe the Bible teaches that we're going to be able to work those Bible miracles. But what I do believe is the Spirit is alive and active in our lives and I don't want just to relegate it to the form of saying, oh, he intercedes in prayer, which he does. But there's more. There's more. I can't help but think about James 1. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. Seems to me he would give that wisdom through the spirit that is indwelling and if I'm wanting to understand what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm asking to understand, how am I going to understand? I think it's through the Spirit. And by doing all of that, I am partaking of the living water, and I am therefore making a decision to be there. But finally, verses 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I want to go to heaven, but I have to do it on God's will, not mine. I said this morning that the specific sin that happened in the garden and that every one of us face every day is self-will. The competition between my will and God's. I want to go to heaven, but I can't do it on my terms. I can't add things. I can't take away things. I have to do it on God's terms and I can't say, well, that's not important, or that's not very important, or I can get by without that. No, I have to say, if I want to go to heaven, whatever God wants, that's what I need to accept, and that's what I need to do. If you want to go to heaven, God makes that determination. And I don't want to be comfortable with more or less. And I don't want you to be comfortable with more or less. I just want what God wants. And as children of God, as a family, as a flock, as a sheep in this place, let us encourage and do all we can do for and with each other to help us go to heaven. I want to close with something I wrote this afternoon. It's not earth-shaking but you will recognize it from the songs that we sing. 
When days of toil have all gone by, and I, my dear Lord, shall see, oh, that will be glory for me. Won't it be wonderful there? When we all get to heaven, heaven's really going to shine. Up in the beautiful Paradise Valley, by the side of the river of life, we'll be free from all pain and all strife. God shall wipe away all tears. There's no death, no pain, no fears. And they count not time by years, for there is no night there. Oh, for a home with God, a place in His courts to rest, sure in a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed, where the gates swing outward never, where the soul of man never dies. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. We will rest in that fair and happy land Land beyond so fair and bright. Home of the soul, beautiful home. There we shall rest, never to roam. How beautiful heaven must be. Heaven's a wonderful place, and I want to go there. I know you do too, and we want to go together. We don't want this to be the last time that we see each other. Let's work together as a church to encourage and strengthen and help everyone be able to go to heaven and be able confidently to say, heaven is a wonderful place and I want to go there. We would love to help you Get started in that journey when you're immersed into Jesus Christ. We'd love to pray for you to be stronger. I want you to pray for me and I'll pray for you that we all will be better in our journey toward heaven. But as always, may God bless our country. May God bless our church. May God bless each one of us on our journey to heaven. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.